Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. With me today is Michelle Charbonnier, and she's the acting executive director of Mo Network. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so, first of all, Mo Network, I I know what it is, but give give like a general elevator speech when you're talking to people who've never heard of it. Yeah, Mo Network is a recovery community center in South City, St. Louis. Um, we offer harm reduction services and recovery support. Um, we do everything from syringe service programs, naloxone distribution, harm reduction training, fentanyl test strips to peer support specialists and support groups like AA, NA. Um, we also do family support, uh, linkage, linkages to care, and hep C, HIV testing, things like that. So basically, is there anything you don't do? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot we don't do because we don't have the funding for it. <laughs> there we go. There. So if we're listening, there, we, yep. So, um, so South City, you're off of Broadway. We're right on Broadway, yeah. We're right, right off Highway 55 in Gasconade. So okay. right on South Broadway. Um, we're looking for a new space right now, oh. but yeah. And how long has Mo Network been in existence? Since 2015. Okay. How long have you worked for Mo Network? I started volunteering at Mo Network in 2017 before there was ever any paid jobs there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've been with it for five years, six years. So when you were talking and you rattled off that long list of things that you all do, and it's a lot, um, you mentioned um, a couple of things, uh, fentanyl test strips. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about um, syringe. Um, I forget exactly what you said, but uh, syringe, syringe service program. Service SSP. program. Yes. Uh, and I'm choosing my words carefully because it's a hot topic and yeah. I'd like to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and both of those strategies, both the fentanyl test strips and the, the syringe stuff, really fall underneath the umbrella term you used called harm reduction. Correct. Right. So could you talk a little bit about the evolution of harm reduction, and and I don't need data points or anything like that, but for the person who has no idea, like, really what harm reduction is, because it's a word that is thrown around a lot right mm -hmm. now, and it, um, until pretty recently, was pretty taboo, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. it's less so now in some circles, but definitely still taboo in others. So yeah. can you talk about harm reduction as a movement, really? Yeah, yeah. Harm reduction... I always say that it's radical love. We meet people right where they're at and we love them right there and we help them be safe in what they're doing. Um, harm reduction, the movement has been around for well over 40 years now, um, obviously starting in America on the coast and moving in towards uh, where we are Obviously. Now. You mean things don't typically start in <laughs> the Midwest? No, no not really. Not here. Nope. Not in Missouri. <laughs> nope. Um, and so it's really about enabling people to be safe and... Um, use things like clean syringes so there's you know no transfer of diseases and things like that it's about um providing tools to these people that are choosing to continue to use drugs people have the right to do that and they should be also able to have safe tools whether that's a smoking kit or syringes they should have naloxone with them um, they should have access to all of that i think i first really understood and, I, and I'm not an expert on it, but I think I first started to really understand what harm reduction is by talking with um, Dr. Cunningham mm -hmm. um, because 
she was able to explain to me, a, a pretty diehard preventionist, that harm reduction is keeping people alive and safe. And that might be it. And that is okay. Yeah. Because I think that where the conversation often is keeping them alive and safe until they find treatment. Yeah. And not everyone wants to do that. That's right. And so she talked a lot about, um, when she was on this podcast, she talked a lot about integrating it into primary care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how can we talk about people's substance use in the same way that we talk about their pap smear or their, you know, have they had their blood work checked out to make sure they don't have diabetes? Like mm-hmm. just incorporating it in and really changing the conversation away from the judgment and we're helping you stay alive until you get help to we're, we're helping you lead the life that you want to live in the best possible way. And that is very controversial still. Of course. For some people. Yep. Um, yeah. Dr. Cunningham is amazing. We've worked with her for years. She served on our board for many years. Um, and she's right. Like people have the right to make decisions on their own. And harm reduction is reality-based, right? We live in a society where there's alcohol and there's substances and people can use them. And that's not going to change. That's not going away. Mm-hmm. So how we deal with that has to change. I think the thing that I, that I struggle with and I get really frustrated when we're on calls, and by we I mean harm reduction folks and prevention folks and treatment folks and recovery folks, I get really frustrated that the conversation is often binary, right? It's either harm reduction or prevention, or it's prevention or treatment. And the reality is, is like, we need it all. Correct. Because for that person who is using and wants to keep using, doesn't want to die, wants to keep using, doesn't want to enter treatment, you can provide the resources for that individual. Correct. For the young person who doesn't really want to use they don't like the consequences that it brought they don't like being in trouble with their parents like you know that there's also a need for that Mm -hmm. there's also a need for people who want to seek treatment to find an evidence-based treatment program you know there in other words it's not black or white it's not this or this and I think sometimes we have gotten in the field we've fallen into the trap of there's a finite amount of resources and it's either this or that. Mm-hmm. And the truth is both are needed. It's all needed. It's not even both. It's like the whole gamut is needed. That's right. When we talk about it, it's like what we've done before hasn't worked. So we clearly need to do something different. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's with harm reduction and giving it the credibility, right? And it's also, in my opinion, not choosing one or the other right and that's with everything exactly we all have to work together yeah um i want to go back to fentanyl test strips Mm -hmm. i don't think people know that technically they're like still considered paraphernalia yeah um in some places yes is that infuriating it's beyond infuriating um Syringe service programs aren't even legal in the state of Missouri. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is? Like the, yeah, the program? Yeah. yeah. Like what does that mean? And like obviously without naming names, like why do you 
why do you think it's still not available here in Missouri? And do you all do any advocacy to maybe change that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, syringe service program, the way we operate, we give out clean syringes and it comes in a kit. So you get 20 syringes, you get, uh, cotton, you get tourniquets, cookers, um, and alcohol wipes. Um, and we pack those bags every week and we operate our program on Mondays, 12 to two and Tuesdays, four to six. Um, people can come in and it's low barrier. We, we have to collect some data mm-hmm. to prove that what we're doing works. Um, but we just ask for a little bit of information and they get their supplies and they can leave. Uh, why is it still illegal? It's been, we do legislation work. Um, we've taken it to the state seven years in a row and it hasn't been passed yet. Last year it was really close and um, it was the bill before it that they were arguing about and it didn't get through. Um, we're hopeful that it will this year. It's really just the fact that it's Missouri and it's a closed-minded state. Um, you can go across the river where it's legal. Yeah, what do you say to people who are like, you're giving them tourniquet? First of all, them, but that's usually what they say, like, yeah. or addicts, or, mm-hmm. you know, which we know is not the appropriate word, but right. that's what people say. Right. You're giving addicts, like, tourniquets and clean needles. Like, aren't you just allowing them to continue their drug use? How do you respond to that? Yeah, um, we get that all the time. I'm sure you yeah. do. Yeah. Um, our One of our mottos is enabling life since 2015 because the only thing we enable is people to stay alive. When I'm, so, I'm, I'm in long-term recovery. That's how I got in this field. Um, and that's why I'm passionate about it. And I do what I do. And when you really break it down, nobody is going to just decide to use a drug intravenously because we're giving out clean syringes. Okay. We, these people are already making those choices. All we're doing them is giving them good supplies to do it with. Um, nobody is going to decide to do it just because of our program. Um, like they're not walking down Broadway saying like, oh, they're giving out free needles. I think I'll start injecting heroin. <laughs> like that exactly. doesn't, right? And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Just like when we're talking to a kindergartner about making healthy choices, they're not like, oh, well, they just mentioned making healthy choices, so that means that I'm going to start doing some unhealthy things. Or, oh, if I'm talking to a fifth grader about yeah. alcohol, then I'm going to certainly make them start wanting to drink alcohol or drinking out. That doesn't. That's like a non sequitur. That right. doesn't make sense. Right. Right. I often give the examples of like looking back in time in other ways that harm reduction is applied. Um, seatbelts. When they wanted yep. to put seatbelts in cars, people were like, "No, no, everyone's going to speed." Then we already speed. Right. You don't. Right. I don't have to have a seatbelt in my car to decide to see speed. Same with the whole condom thing um, in the AIDS pandemic or epidemic of the late 80s and 90s. They said, don't give out condoms. Kids are going to think they can have sex. We're going to say, you know, we're saying it's OK for people to have sex and um, all that stuff. It's just not true. If you're going to have sex, you're going to have sex regardless of whether <laughs> you have a condom or not. Right. Um, and we can look back now and see how accurate and true that is. It's the same thing with the syringes. I would imagine that you are heartened by the FDA's decision to make Narcan available without a prescription. And I'd imagine that you, like us, recognize that there's a long way to go. Yeah, it's long overdue, right? Um, and it's, it, it is going to save lives. People. Oh, wait, you mean making Narcan available without a prescription isn't going to just make more people go out and use drugs? Absolutely not. Okay, no. okay. No, it doesn't work like that, right? Right. right. So, I th- it, it's it was needed. It should have happened a long time ago. But in in reality, 
it's not going to have that much of an impact. The people that need it the most, which are the people who use drugs, aren't going to walk into our pharmacy for it. They either don't have the money for it mm-hmm. or they feel too much shame and stigma to walk into a pharmacy and get it. Right. Right. So. Yeah. The day after that um, or actually that day, we had some press asking us, like, how excited are you about this? And yeah, like it's it's a strategy, right? Sure. This is a strategy, just like we were talking about. And until we really look at the cost and the access, we're not really making Hoping. that much of a difference, mm-hmm. right? As a matter of fact, I had one board member ask me that night. He uh, called me and he said, "So, I mean, do you do you think this is like really gonna help you all? Like, are you gonna have to change course and like not distribute naloxone at all since they can get it from a pharmacy?" And I'm like, "Oh." No, because to your point, the people who need it the most mm-hmm. are not they're they're not going to go to CVS exactly. and go in and say, hey, I need can I have some Narcan, please? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go use like yep. they're not going to do that. Yep. I so, think go ahead. My greatest hope is that it's going to impact families, um, loved ones of people who use drugs. Absolutely. I think there will be they'll be the ones going to the pharmacies, pharmacies and purchasing it and then Absolutely. having it on hand. Absolutely. I think that's where it's going to make the difference. But it's. Definitely not a big picture solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a tactic. It's definitely not the end all be all. Yeah. So speaking of families, uh, I asked you before you came in here, like you work with Kathy, right? Okay. And when I talk with Kathy Arbini and when I hear her describe what she does and she lost her son um, several years ago and has just been a bulldog mm-hmm. in Jeff City to try yeah. to get um, the good Sam law passed and all kinds of stuff. When I, when I ask her to describe what she does, she's basically like, I just give hugs. <laughs> I give hugs to people that need them, yeah. but that's part of one of Mo Network's programs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Kathy's absolutely amazing. She is our mom, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have a network of probably over 200 moms. Um, we call them moms because most of them have children who have struggled with substance use. But um, uh, some of them are spouses or sisters. We have fathers, too, or husbands. It's family members that have been impacted by loved ones' choices to use drugs. And um, Kathy is in charge of all of that. She facilitates two family groups a month, family support groups. Um, She also goes to Jeff City and does all that kind of stuff. Oh, she's a bulldog. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she she stands up for everything that we fight for. Um, and then she does fundraising for us. She just coordinated our Easter dinner, our oh. spring dinner last Sunday, serving our participants. Um, she does one at the holidays and, you know, the winter. Um, yeah, she's, and we just all call her our mom because mm-hmm. she, that's what she is to us. Uh, you're also, I mean, you're, you're based on South Broadway, but you're also doing some work with the T. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Like, what is the T? And talk a little bit about that opportunity. Yeah, the T is operated by Doctor Punch. Um, he's absolutely amazing. He is. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they like a true pioneer. Absolutely. In this field. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they're located on Delmar. The T is, um, and they come to our location on Mondays for two hours during SSP. What is um, SSP? Syringe Service Program. Great. Um, and they do wound care and they do, they give out smoking kits. Um, so they also do street outreach just like we do, um, on the North side. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what our partnership looks like right now. We have a nurse practitioner on staff, um, who's going to start working with Dr. Punch so that the nurse, when she is there on Tuesdays can prescribe medication, antibiotics. Um, so we just are getting that up and going. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the tea is absolutely amazing. They focus on harm reduction. They pro- focus on trauma and healing. Um, they do all kinds of amazing work. Uh, wound care. Pretend like I'm in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. What is what? What does that have to do with anything? Yeah, so people who use drugs um, can be impacted by abscesses and wounds and all kinds of different issues. Um, so we hired the nurse practitioner to come in and just start seeing our participants individually. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems with people going into a hospital or to a treatment center, they won't do it. There's shame, there's stigma, there's all kinds of reasons they're not going to walk into a hospital, especially to show their wounds from Mm, drug mm -hmm, use. mm -hmm. Um, But they feel comfortable and safe with us. And so they they will come in and they'll see the nurse or they'll see the people from the T and they will get their wounds treated um, and they'll get antibiotics um, and they will... We're starting to get them to where they can go to the T and see Dr. Punch in person mm. for more like day-to-day treatment if that's needed. And wound care has always been an issue with people who use drugs, um, especially IV. But it's also becoming worse because of our drug supplies being poisoned. Um, xylazine is on the streets now. It's trank dope. Um, and that's something we can talk about too. But that's causing major wounds. Like we're seeing wounds that are straight to the bone. Yep. Um, and so people come in and get those treated. Yeah, I think that that's not... It, it's interesting to me because that's not something that we talk a lot about, right? But harm reduction as a movement does have a lot of its origins really in HIV and AIDS, right? right. And there was a lot of... Um, and, and then as a public health nerd, there's a lot of other public health things that we need to be mindful of, right. With, with people sharing needles and that's like hepatitis and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And so I think wound care is like an, it, people don't often understand how critical that is. And that if left untreated, like that could be like a source of death or infection Mm -hmm, or severe illness and so it's really cool that you're sort of attacking it from a couple of different sides yeah talk more about xylazine because that's not something we've talked about here on on this podcast and i know some people have no idea what it is yeah so we do drug checking our participants give us samples of their drugs we send it to a lab okay wait a second how does this work so i walk (laughs) in to mo network and i'm like hey i'm here for like a clean syringe and maybe like a sandwich and you're like hey can i see your drugs like how how does this work (laughs) so this is fascinating (laughs) and could not be more different than what happens at prevented okay i just have to tell you go ahead yeah yeah. (laughs) the relationship we have with our participants is unique and it's we value it so much because they trust us Right. Um, everyone that works at my center, with the exception of Kathy and our nurse practitioner, are, we're in long term recovery. So you get it. We get it. We've all been there. Um, and so we have a community advisory board. Um, my director of research runs it, Dr. Sarah Sotili. And um, it's of 10 to 12 participants and they will come in and she talks to them, asks them what's happening on the streets, what they're seeing, how we're meeting their needs, how we can better meet their needs and things like that. Hmm. And so we really just have a good relationship with these people and they trust us. So when we tell them we've been doing it for well over a year now and when we tell them we just want samples, we we usually have multiple people in there at once during SSP. You know, it's only a two hour window, two days a week. Um, so we'll just announce it that we're taking samples if anybody wants to come back and give us some. 
So that's okay. what we do. And My so desk drawers are always full I'm, of drugs. Uh, I'm imagining. We always joke that um, because, you know, we talk to kids about it, so we need to yeah. know what's going on. We always joke that if somebody were to look at, like, our Google searches, mm-hmm. like, it would just be, it's just funny, right? Yeah. So, okay, so you make this announcement, like, we're collecting, and then people bring in their drugs, and then you take a sample, and then where does that go? Or so did, that goes to a lab. Okay, yep. all right. We send it to a lab that we work with. Um, they do the testing on it, and they send us the results. We post the results in our main room mm-hmm. so that all our participants can see it, and they know what's in their supply. Um Wow. Drug checking. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a really important part of harm reduction. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, do other places do that? In the country, yes, absolutely. Um, other places have been doing it far longer than we have. We were one of the first to do it in our state. Mm. Um, and obviously there's some taboo to it, right? Right, right. But um, it's so important that we know what's going on in the supply. Like, this has always been important, but in the last... Five years, if not longer, the supply is absolutely contaminated, right? It's poison. Um, And primarily with fentanyl, right? right. And we've been hearing about xylazine, but I didn't know until recently that it was actually showing up here locally. Yep. So we went to the harm reduction conference in Puerto Rico back in like October. Mm -hmm. At that point, I think we were seeing it in maybe 50% of our samples. By November, it was close to 100%. So what is it? So it is a tranquilizer used by vets, um, and it's making it its way into our drug supply. It's cause it causes respiratory suppression, um, so it makes it difficult to breathe, and it's causing a lot of the wounds that we're seeing. Um, whether you're, it's at the point of injection or if you're smoking or snorting, it's still causing wounds. The best way, and this might not resonate with some people, but the best way that I can even like pretend to describe it would be like what people freaked out about with crocodile yeah. several years ago where it would like actually like eat flesh right 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 and what its purpose is to put animals to sleep before like a procedure right. or something so that part makes sense with the respiratory depression like where does it how does it disintegrate that like what does it cuts off the oxygen supply um to those Whoa. areas of the skin Wow. And I know the DEA, for example, just released like a advisory that right. said like it's it's here and it's. Yeah. And um, do you have folks, your your participants, as you call them, do you have them talking about like, do they share at all their fear that these new things are coming in? Mm-hmm. And do they share a fear that they could get something laced with fentanyl without their knowledge and then they could die? Because I think some people think, yeah, well, they're, they have a death wish. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. No. Right. No. Um, yeah, that's, that's why you have fentanyl test strips, um, that we give test strips out to people that are using stimulants or maybe some sort of pill like, you know, a a benzo or, um, Adderall Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, we give test strips, to those people so that they can test their supply before they use it and make sure there isn't fentanyl in it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a concern. It's a major concern. Um, people, if you're going to use a stimulant, what you think is cocaine, and you snort it or whatever, however you use it, and you don't know there's fentanyl in it, there's a good chance you're going to die from an overdose. Did you ever think you'd be doing this job? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I feel like half, 
probably 75% of your job is just dispelling myths. Yes. And trying absolutely. to swallow really hard so you don't punch someone out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can, like, talk a little bit, if you would like, about your trajectory because that this has to be a major, like, holy shit, I cannot believe I'm doing this for a living. And I cannot believe I'm talking to like lawmakers in Jeff City about why they need like clean syringes yeah. or why they need fill in the blank. Like this is major. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I found recovery, I absolutely had no interest in this field at all. Um, and what did you want to be? <laughs> um, I studied business management and entrepreneurship. I did insurance and marketing before I got into this field. So anything in business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I started, I found recovery for myself and I wanted to help other people and I started volunteering. And so it's kind of been a natural progression over the last five or six years that I've been at Mo Network. But I mean, like looking at the big picture, no, I never thought I would be here doing this and talking about this. But the as soon as I went to Mo Network and heard about what they did and understood it, I was 100% on board. Like, it just makes sense. Like, to me, this is just common sense. This is logical. And this is how we should address the problem. So how do you keep calm when you're, you know that it's common sense? Yeah. But you're talking with a legislator or a funder or a person who only believes in fill in the blank Mm -hmm. that how do you keep calm? Yeah. Well, or do you? <laughs> I think I usually do. Okay. <laughs> Maybe somebody else could answer that better. I don't know. But I think I think I stay pretty calm. Um, I'm pretty grounded. Um, I'm also a yoga teacher. I don't actually teach oh. any classes right now, but okay. I'm trained. So that's a big tool of mine, mm-hmm. right? Meditation, breath work, um, centering myself and just knowing that what I'm doing is right. And there, there's a lot of ignorance out there. There's a lot of people that just don't know. Um, and I'm just here to educate them. Mm. Is there a you in the rural community? In Missouri? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. We are one of just a handful of SSPs in Missouri. Gotcha. Gotcha. What's your, like, vision? Because, I mean, as exec- as acting executive director, I'm sure you're putting out a lot of fires. You're starting some fires. You're, you know, worried about <laughs> funding. Right, exactly. You're worried about funding. You're trying to manage the volunteers and your staff and all of that. What does the next, I don't know, five years look like for Mo Network? Yeah. Um, continue to get more funding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never, the funding we have now is amazing. Like, to look at where we were five years ago to compare compare, compare it to now is just amazing. Um, get more funding and expand our services. We need to reach out to North City more than we are. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's the area impacted the most right now. Um, so expand our street outreach. Um, big, big picture for me would be like a safe consumption site, right? Oh, um, wow. Which is totally controversial mm-hmm. and not legal here at all. Um, but yeah, I think I think people, some people who are listening, their heads just exploded. Yeah, oh, of course, of <laughs> right, course. exactly. Um, and again, that goes back to for me is to just common sense. That's where we should move. This is that's the movement. That's where we need. And to there's go. only a couple of those that exist right now, and those are in New York. Is that right? Yes, and I I think there's one on the West Coast as well. Oh, okay, all right. So, so big picture, that's you you love would love to that like okay. somebody to walk in and not just for safe consumption, but somebody to be able to walk into our front door and receive whatever services they need, whether that's HIV and Hep C testing, clean syringes, smoking kit, a place to use safely, 
or maybe they're ready for treatment and they want to talk to a doctor or a nurse practitioner and get on some sort of medication. Um, maybe they're ready to start detox. Um, my my big goal is for that to happen all, all under kind all of one roof. umbrella, yeah. one roof. Yeah. I'm going to ask the dumbest question. Okay. You've mentioned it a couple of times. What is a smoking kit? Yeah. So a smoking kit, um, it depends. Do you know what that is, Max? Am I just totally naive? I mean, I am naive. Do you know, <laughs> I'm breaking the fourth wall or whatever, but do you know what a smoking kit is? Okay. All right. Good. Okay. okay. What is a smoking yeah, kit? So it looks different depending on the organization giving it out, um, but it's usually like a glass bubble pipe or it can be um, foil um, and then a tube to inhale the smoke. Um, but it's another form of harm reduction. So the idea is that some people would rather smoke than inject. Um, so we provide the supplies to do that as well. Okay, I'm really glad I asked the question because that was not really what I was thinking. <laughs> now, when we we have smoking kits at Prevented, and we we actually call them tobacco kits. Yes, no, and no. they're yeah, okay, and they're like a uh, little Tupperware with all these different like tobacco and nicotine products and vaping products. So when we go in and we talk to students about this, and sometimes the adults, but mostly with the students, then they they can have an opportunity to look at it and to ask mm -hmm. questions and to look at the labels and to really because. You know, if you have a fifth grader who tried, like, my dad smoked cigarettes. If I would have ever touched his cigarettes, holy moly, <laughs> you know, but I had a lot of questions yeah. about it. And so that's what we call, like, a smoking kit. So yeah. I'm really glad I asked. Yeah, and the, the premise behind it, the idea behind it is that if somebody wants to move from injecting to smoking or at least decrease the amount that they're injecting and start smoking, that's reducing harm. Huh. It's okay. less harmful yeah. to the person. Right. Um, so that's the premise behind it. Do funders pay for the smoking kits or do you, do you rely on like private individuals to do that? Yeah. Like I can so, imagine there would be like, cause I know like SAMHSA just started allowing fentanyl test strips and that was correct. like a woohoo, but. Yeah. yeah. So we have different sources of funding. Uh -huh, sure. Um, SAMHSA, like anything from the feds does not allow syringes, does not allow smoking kits, we recently received one grant that was coming through the feds that also told us we can't even buy Narcan with it. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our funding is absolutely crazy. We get funding in a very various amounts of sources, but we do get funding from the Comer Family Foundation, which is a harm reduction organization. Huh. So that funding can be used for syringes. That funding can be used for smoking kits. Um, AIDS United is another one that offers grants cool. for these kind of places. Um hmm. And then private donations, um, our own fundraising. So, yeah, it's the general funds and the right, Comer right. Family Foundation that helps us support that project. And I'm sorry if that if people are listening and are like, that is too in the weeds. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this because, because grants are usually very restricted on yes. what you can and you can't Ridiculous. purchase. And it's, it's really challenging. And mm -hmm. that's for something sort of as innocuous as... Uh, prevention like mm -hmm. everybody loves kids you know yeah. i can't even imagine how challenging it would be for you all to find funds yep. to do the things that you're doing it's so hard it's we have the biden administration finally getting on board with harm reduction but it's under the premise of we will f support harm reduction organizations because you're showing us that what you guys do works and it does help people, but we're going to tell you how to spend the money right. and really not let you spend the money on what you need to spend it on, which is syringes and smoking kits and things like that. Mm. 
Mm. So, yeah, we get we are the majority of our funds do come through federal grants. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how we keep our doors open. That's how I pay my staff for the most part. And all of that can't be used for the syringes or the smoking kits or anything. Did the um, legalization of cannabis for adult use, did that impact your clients at all or not really? Not really. Yeah. No. um, Possibly, you know, anyone that may have already been facing legal issues for it. May Got have it. in that way impacted them, but not really. Not really. No. Do you assist people with that at all or sort of direct them, like if they are facing any sort of legal challenges, or is that really another org? We will do our best to educate them on the laws or how they can educate themselves on the laws, mm-hmm. um, but we don't provide any type of assistance, like any type of lawyers or anything like that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'll give referrals. Uh, last maybe last question in terms of like the logistics, like if somebody is experiencing homelessness or like, do you offer referrals to housing mm-hmm. or do you like, do you ask those things? Cause I feel, yeah, here's what it seems like to me that if I'm walking into your organization, I'm going to probably be faced with like the least amount of judgment that I've ever been Absolutely. met with. And so I can imagine that it might feel weird to be like, do you have a place to stay? But mm-hmm. like, because maybe some people like really like their current situation yeah. and they're happy with what's happening. But also we in St. Louis have an incredible lack of housing resources, mm-hmm. um, especially if you have like kids or an animal or anything mm-hmm. like that. So do you have sort of like relationships with Homeless shelters and Patrick Center, Peter and Paul, places like that. One of my staff works at Peter and Paul. Oh, cool. Okay. So um, when somebody comes in to receive services from us, we have iPads where they get on and they have to enter their information. And it does ask questions about housing along with other questions. Um, But we give them the iPad to do that. We'll assist them if they want us to. But um, trying to keep it private and discreet so that they don't necessarily have to answer the questions in front of everybody. Um, but yeah, we do have relationships with the shelters and things like that. We don't have any special in, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it's a really sad situation here in St. Louis with that, but we have those, you know, we know the resources. Um, on Tuesdays, we actually have St. Patrick's Center at Mo Network during SSP. Cool. They come in, um, they give out free bus passes. Huh. They help people get into the whole system for housing, all of that kind of stuff. So awesome. Yeah. Were there questions that I didn't ask you that you were like expecting me to ask you today? You know, like how on your yeah. drive here and you're probably like mentally preparing for this. Were there things that you thought I would ask that I didn't, that you maybe you mm-hmm. get asked all the time? No, I think you've asked everything I get asked all the time. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you wish people would ask you? Um, how they can help. Okay. How can we help? Yeah. Um, so we have a volunteer group on Facebook that people can join. And um, we put everything out there because we do volunteer packing of our supply bags every Sunday. We have volunteers come in during SSP on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then we have volunteers help us. We do a free lunch every Wednesday. We have volunteers help us with that. Um, Volunteers can do street outreach as well. So um, we really are looking for people to come in and support us in that way. And so Um, that would be by going to finding Monet. Mo Network on Facebook. Yep, or finding okay. me on Facebook. Or one of the two. You. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So. And then we're always willing to take cash. Uh, yes, Absolutely. cash is king, yep. right? Yep. Excellent. So that would go directly towards buying syringes, smoking kits, things like that. Those things that the, the grants cannot pay for. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, thank you. 
for being on. I mean, I I had a lot of questions. Thank you for bearing with some of my questions. <laughs> of I think we talked about the fact that a couple years ago, this would not have happened. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you accepting the invitation to come on. Yeah. I am personally trying to learn more about harm reduction. Our organization is trying to think about how we can support the entire continuum in ways that make sense for us. Mm -hmm. We're certainly not trying to step outside of our mission. Right. We know that there's a place for everybody. And certainly there is more work than any of us can handle. Yeah. So how can we better refer? How can we continue to work with you all? I think is is what we are really looking to do. So yeah. thank you so much for agreeing to be on today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard and you want to learn more about Mo Network and more about Michelle, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast. Uh, just want to thank you again for being here and, and thanks to our sponsor, Hubbard Radio, for making all of this possible. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.